So why don't we pray and then I'll jump into uh, Genesis and we'll, be, we'll see where the story all began. Is that all right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for generate. Thank you that you are good and that you own everything. So Lord, use us right now, Lord. Use our minds, our attention. Use our thoughts, our emotions, whether it use the bad week we've had or the good week we've had for you to speak to us, to bring us closer to you. Use my voice, use my vocal cords, my energy, my mind, all for you. So thank you, Lord. We place tonight into your hands and may your word do what you want it to do. Amen. I want to go journey through Genesis 1, just super quickly. Uh, I don't know, has everyone read through the, the Genesis chapter 1 before? I'll just fly through it. It's pretty simple. We just want to begin with some ground rules, right? Uh, so firstly, I just want to say Genesis is f- the first book of five. It's the uh, first book of the Pentateuch, right, or the Torah, okay? And, and the Torah is actually the book of law. Right? So sometimes we read Genesis and we can kind of go, this is a great story. And some of it is a great story. But it's really meant to set into stone this sense of what the world is meant to be like, the laws, what's right, what's wrong, what are the consequences. So as we read into it, we have to start to begin to think about what is this first chapter trying to set up. It's almost, can I say, like a constitution of the Christian nation. We understand where everything began, well, everything began from. I'm going to read verse 1, 1, and then I want to skip to verse 26, okay? The book of law, the Torah, begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have this... God, this primordial being that creates all things, it automatically puts him right at the top. That's just who he is. And we see God, not only is he there without needing to be created, he actually, everything that we see, every atom, every molecule, every seat, every item of clothing you're wearing, began because God created something. And let's go to verse 26. Then God creates these things. So there's a pattern here. He creates a space. He fills it. He creates a space and he fills it. And he fills it with these living creatures. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So this first chapter sets up this hierarchy of relationships. So you're introducing, so in the, in the first clause of a contract, I don't know how many of you guys are lawyers, right? When I was growing up, mom's like, you've got to study law. That's your thing, right? In the first clause of, or the first chunk of a contract, you are, what you have to do is set up all the different relationships. Who says what? Who's responsible for what? When this word is said, well, then it refers to this person. When this thing is done, this is the person who's accountable for it. Genesis 1 can be read in that sense, and we see this relationship that is formed. Uh, Okay, firstly, we have God, the Creator. He creates all things. And then He creates humanity. Humanity is in the image of God. There is this relationship already between humanity and God. Not only are we just beings, we actually carry something of Him. There is something in us. Even as you sing, you get a sense of, oh, there's something that connects me to the Maker. And then in 2028 onwards, it's kind of, He actually tells humanity that we have a certain relationship with the world as well. We have a relationship with nature and creation, and we're meant to be this middle person. So God rules everything, right? And God creates humanity, and then he wants to put his dominion in humanity to be an image of him. Remember, images are meant to be shown to something. You don't just create an image and hide it under the bed. We're meant to be an image of him throughout creation. So creation is meant to see, as we treat it well, what God is like, right? We are meant to, when people look at humanity, we have this relationship firstly to know God and to be like God, but then as we work, as we look after the creation and the animals around us, we are meant to show them what God is is like. In this relational chart, we not only have the purpose of why humanity exists, we also have the meaning. What is the point? The point of why we're here is to reveal God to the world around us. There are these now, now, it's just, we can just let that brush over us, but what's important here is there's a truth in here, which is meaning and purpose can only come in the context of relationship. Meaning and purpose can only come in the context of what you are, how you are affecting other people. Let's say you're the best soccer player of all time, but there's no one to play soccer with. What's the point? You're the, best, um, you're the best communicator of all time, but you, no one's there listening to you. What's the point? Meaning comes through relationship because relationship gives us a context of what it's meant to look like. See, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a young congregation. I think our oldest person's 37, thereabouts. So I get a lot of these questions. Stephen, 
how do I know my purpose? How do I know what the point of my life is? How do I chase my calling? And here's something that we always have to warn people off. Most people kind of go, oh, I know what my purpose is if I chase my gifting. What am I good at? Right? And a lot of us give that piece of advice because it sounds good. Well, if you're good at something, maybe you should do that thing. But there's no worse piece of advice because we turn this, this sense of purpose away from how we affect other people and towards how we feel about ourselves. You cannot find purpose without proper relationship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes us as parts of a body. You guys are important, not just because you have gifts within yourselves, but actually how your gifts and your talents affect and change and bring God and God's peace into the lives around you. Begin to kind of see, okay, so you begin to see yourself not just in the context of your individual self, but maybe begin to think about what is it you do around your friends that brings God into their lives? What is it you do in your workplace that brings God into the workplace? We tell our guys at church all the time, we need Christian doctors. Because really, a Christian doctor has all the advantages they could possibly ask for. They are kind, they're caring, they're diligent, and they have a connection to God. We need Christian students to change the landscape of education. We need Christian uh, engineers and plumbers and footballers and everything because we need to show people what God looks like in those spheres. So you may be coming today because some of you guys are going, well, what's my purpose here? What's my purpose here? And you've been going, well, I'm kind of good at this. Maybe it's this. Or, oh, my friends tell me that I, I should be trying this. Maybe I'll do it. Or maybe you're completely lost. I just want to turn and change the paradigm. Instead of thinking about what you're good at, why don't we start to go, if you're looking for your purpose, how are your relationships? Do you have good relationships with God? Do you have a good relationship with your friends or are you causing friction within your family? Purpose comes from having healthy relationship with God, with each other, and with the world around us. That's called shalom. It's a sense of wholeness. And God created us to have these relationships. If you are looking for purpose, especially if you're younger, have good relationships with the people around you, and ask God to show you how to serve the world around you. Be missional. That's what being missional is. Ask God, how can I make an impact, not just for me, but to have an impact for those around me? That's where purpose really begins. See, for me, I grew up, uh, I, wasn't a, I wasn't growing up, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up in a broken home. My mom and my dad, uh, they, they split up, they divorced when I was around five years old. I was in Hong Kong, and she was completely heartbroken. And so she took my brother and I, and she just needed a fresh start somewhere, because my dad had just left. And she brought us here to Australia. And I remember I was good at a lot of things, right? I got tutoring for everything right? Except for sport. <laughs> but I remember feeling this vague sense of emptiness 
because I didn't know, because we were so broken within ourselves, I didn't know God at that point. I remember always going, I could be good at all these things, get awards for all these things, but it didn't matter to me at all, because I had no one to connect those things with. You can gain everything. You can be the best at anything, but relationship is where meaning resides. And so I went on this journey. And it was a journey of, of my life where I had to go, okay, well, what is the point of all this? What am I meant to be? And it was in that journey that I began to find and seek for is there a God? So if you're looking for purpose and you're going, maybe you are solid in your faith, great. Hey, keep maintaining those relationships, right? If you haven't, if you don't know who God is, if you haven't really given your life to Him, begin that search. It's okay. All of us have gone through that journey. So what does this have to do with sin? You're probably kind of thinking about. This is just all about relationships and purpose. Well, I actually think we need to look at the idea. The Bible doesn't begin in Genesis 3. We need to look at what it was meant to be before we realize what sin really is. Because it's bad. Sin is messed up. Because it's more than just doing something wrong. Turn with me to Genesis 3. What does this have to do with sin? Because often when we think about sin and how I was taught in youth group is that sin is just doing a bad thing, right? Doing bad things is sin, okay? If I go and punch someone in the face, pretty bad. But it's not as bad as the guy next door who punched two people in the face, right? Or I'm going out there, if I do something wrong, I cheat someone of money, that's sin. But if I do nothing, then that's not sin. I'm a good person because I... There's more time where I do not sin than I do sin. But that's not actually what sin is. Because the problem, if we misunderstand how awful sin is, if we don't understand what this thing is trying to do and does in our lives, we may actually misunderstand the consequences of it. And we we may live a whole life without knowing how serious and how debilitating it is in our lives. We need to realize what sin is. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. This is after the creation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Here's the thing. We, we listen to this story in kids' church a lot, and, and here's a real honest question. Eating a fruit ain't that bad. As far as I know, all my doctors say, well, I only have one doctor, I suppose, eating fruit's good for you. What's the big deal? But you see, it's not the act in itself. We have to answer, the introduction of sin is not the act of doing something bad. The act of doing something bad is a result of sin. Sin happened already way before a bad thing happened. They actually broke a rela- their relationship with God. God said, don't do it. Your proper, in your proper relationship with me, I set the rules. And then Adam and Eve took the fruit and as an, in an act of rebellion went, I'm just going to take it anyway. It was open rebellion. They broke their relationship with God. Not only that, right afterwards, they break their relationship with each other. They feel shame and blame against each other. And before long, you realize they break their relationship with creation as well, all in one act. See, if purpose, if the point of life is to find purpose and calling in our Lord, then sin breaks the relationships which allow you to find it. If, relation, if purpose is drawn from a healthy relationship, a healthy set of relationships with God, with those around you, and with the world around you, then having dysfunctional relationships destroys your chance for purpose. You can be the best at anything, but you'll end up with no one to share those things with. See, Right after this, so we have sin not only breaks the relationship they have with each other, their children, Cain and Abel, right, immediately there's murder out of another dysfunctional relationship. They can't relate to each other, so much so that jealousy comes into the mix. See, and it's not so different from you and I. We look at the world, or we look at sin as dysfunctional relationships. Some of us have incredibly dysfunctional relationships. Some of us have a dysfunctional relationship with God. You don't even want to speak with Him. You think He has to prove Himself to you. You think He has to somehow fit into our cultural norms. That's dysfunctional. That's not who God is is meant to be, nor how we are meant to relate to God. Some of us have dysfunctional relationships with money, right? So dysfunctional, you kind of, you worship this idea that the more money I have, the better future I will have. That's dysfunctional. Money is not meant to lord over us. I mean, anyone can tell you that. Some of us have incredibly dysfunctional friendships. That's sin. To have friendships and to kind of attack them and to have them attack you back that's not normal that's sinful that is an inability to relate properly some of you guys have a dysfunctional relationship with pleasure somehow you pleasure is not a bad thing but you chase after it like it's the only thing that's sin because it will kill you As you chase, pleasure has no purpose within it. It will kill all hope of purpose in your life. Some of you guys have a dysfunctional relationship with pain. So you kind of, you know, there are people who are like, mostly guys, oh, if it's it's painful, if pain is just weakness leaving the body, yeah, 
I'm just going to run till I puke. You know, that's good. You know, I, oh, it's not, hard, it's not good work if it's not hard work. And we make hard work the point of our lives. You know, people work so hard that they neglect their families and their families break. People work so hard, they're so interested in building a, a, an empire of wealth that they l- deny themselves any sort of loved ones. They have nothing left. They just end up with a, with a whole big old pile of money. Some people have such dysfunctional relationships with pleasure that they can't even relate to a, a spouse properly. These things kill your purpose. It's sinful. It's dysfunctional. And every time you let sin continue in your life, you are actually breeding a greater dysfunction in your life. In fact, in James, it said sin, this is what I was thinking actually when I was answering the question, sin when fully grown gives birth to death. It's, it will kill you. Now, as you're thinking, I'm sure you're already thinking about other dysfunctional relationships that I have right now. Maybe you shouldn't stay up at 3 a.m. in the morning watching Netflix. That's dysfunctional, man. That ain't right. Maybe you need to reprioritize how much uh, your career ought to mean to you if it's costing you time with your children, your family, your parents. Maybe you need to think about how your friends, maybe in, in, in trying to please your friends so much, you're actually not bringing any of God's peace into their life. That's dysfunctional. That's sinful. And that denies God's peace into your life. Sin is so much more than an action. It is how you relate and how dysfunction, how dysfunctional our relationships can be. And these dysfunctions will find you out. So, uh, I mean, um, in my church, like, there are, um, in the Cantonese congregation, you know, like, Asian families were pretty tight-knit, right? Uh, and, b- and I was talking to this parent. I'm talking about their kid, and they love their son. They love their son, but in a dysfunctional way, really, as in, like, so we were saying, we were trying to tell them, hey, your kid has been skipping school, right? He's telling their youth leader he hasn't been to school in a week, Right, and and he's not showing up to youth group. He's he's obviously not doing well, and you know what the parents said? The father said the father's like, no, it's not his fault. He's there's a reason. So he tries to explain to me these ten reasons why he shouldn't have to live a productive life. These six, these ten reasons why you know it's all about the other people. But my son, he's a good kid deep down. He's a good kid deep down inside. And then years went along where he would never uh, kind of be to- kept accountable to his actions. And in years later, this kid, you know, he, he ended up in the hospital in a, in a drug feud, like drug addiction, right? And this parent is just going, what happened? What happened? It's c- and, and I mean, obviously I didn't say this, but really it's because it's you allowed him to have a dysfunctional relationship with his parents, Parents aren't meant to be their best friends. A parent is a God-given duty to steward and to look after the child. We cannot just let dysfunctional relationships carry forward because when fully grown dysfunction leads to death. How is your relationship with 
the key things in your life. I'm guessing uh, it's either what? Most of your life's probably either school, uni, or work, right? How, how, do you, how do you let these things drive you? Are they, some, are, are they bringing peace into your life? No one's against hard work, you know? Working hard is very good. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. But it's so important you do not let those things run your life. How's your relationship with, with God? Is it dysfunctional? Because it will lead you to places where you really shouldn't go. Do you have fear when you think about the future and your purpose? Do you have anger, shame? The fact that you're comparing your career with somebody else? Those are dysfunctional things. Now, for those of you type A people, you're already going, all right, I'm going to get back home. I'm going to call my th- three friends, apologize to them. Right, tell them I'm sorry. And like, I'm going to go home and read 15 chapters of the Bible and just make my life right with God. I'm going to do all these things. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to sell all my shares or something, right? I don't know what it is. Now, just calm down. There is actually the first relationship we have to talk about first. If you understand and you journey me is that, a purpose comes from relationship. And a broken relationship is a dysfunctional relationship. And a dysfunctional relationship leads you to destruction and, and purposelessness. We actually need to fix these things, fix these relationships. But there's one relationship that, I mean, because you guys have, like a, everyone has a billion relationships nowadays, right? Social media, all that. But there's one relationship, and you guys know exactly where I'm going, and, but it's the right answer. There's one relationship that if we come down to, because if you look at, I don't know if you guys look at like gears, you know, when I was like younger, um, my uncle would kind of like show me how like a watch is made, you know, those videos and things. And like every gear is just perfectly in tune. Uh, and if something's wrong, you don't just like <laughs> replace everything. You have to find the one thing that's wrong. Fix that one part and everything will tick on smoothly again. And some of us have dysfunctional relationships because there's this one thing that is off. And don't switch everything out because if you switch out a good part with another good part, it's, there's nothing. You need to fix the dysfunctional part. In fact, the first thing we need to fix and to turn our eyes to is Christ. Where is Christ in your life? Fix the relationship you have with God. Because from Genesis 3 onwards, you read through this whole thing. You realize that it just, people are just dysfunctional, right? You go through Cain kills Abel. They build a Tower of Babel. Noah kind of like, you know, he's the only one that survives. Everyone dies. There's Sodom and Gomorrah. You go through Judges. It's the saddest book. You have this whole chunk of things, of dysfunctional people trying to fix their dysfunction before it, like trying to fix it before it kills them, right? And that's some of the lives that people live today, right? Let's try, let's just make sure that this anxiety doesn't kill me before I get somewhere. It doesn't work. It doesn't work trying to fix your own dysfunction because guess who's dysfunctional? You, me. I can't fix my own dysfunction because I'm dysfunctional. And all of these resounding failures teach us one thing, and it's something that's still true today. We learn that laws don't eliminate crime. Just trying to fix dysfunction doesn't work. Laws don't eliminate crime. 
Money doesn't make people better. Governments don't stop wars. Because the issue isn't about how to make yourself better. The issue is that we need to fix the first relationship that was broken. And the first relationship that was ever created isn't between humanity and humanity. The first relationship that was created was the one between God and humanity. We fix that one, everything else works. But how do we do that? You know, I don't know if you guys read through an Exodus, like uh, they can't even, how do, you, how do you reach the unreachable? How do you touch the intangible? How do you know the unknowable? How do you seek and see the unseeable? In Colossians 1, 15 and 20, we see the answer. There's a man named Jesus, and he's not just some dude who, you know, Jesus is not just our bro, our homie, whatever it is Americans say nowadays. In Colossians 1, 15 to 23, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the I'm sure you guys have asked, how do you, how do you touch and know God? How do, you, how do you interact with the intangible, the trans-dimensional being? You, you may not be able to hold on to God, but the way to see the unseeable, know the unknowable, interact with the intangible is not through a hug. It's through relationship. It's through love. Jesus came down, the Son came down to reconcile all things to himself. So firstly, good news, God wants you to fix that relationship. He has an open posture for us to, to, to relate to him properly and peacefully again. No matter how far you've gone, God's interest is not in pushing you away, but in bringing you back in. But Jesus not only wants that, Jesus had a perfect relationship with God, the Father. He goes, I only do what my Father does. Not only that, he came in and he had the perfect relationship with the people around him. No matter how dysfunctional and messed up they were, Jesus had the perfect relationship with people around him. Not only was it, were they pleased with him, people who were with him found Purpose, peace, and life everlasting. And when we look at Jesus and nature, he commands nature. He is 
the image of God shown through his relationship with nature. Jesus has the perfect relationships with everything and everyone. And through him, we are reconciled to God. Through Jesus. You see, when Jesus took the sin of the world, the Bible says he who was without sin became sin. He didn't just kind of, he didn't just die on the cross because it was a fun thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. He took on the dysfunction of the world. He said, whatever dysfunction you have, put it on to me. Because I want you to have a clean start. I want you to have another go. I want you to have a proper relationship with God because a relationship with God is purposeful. It's joyful. It's peaceful. And only through him can we have that. And you know what he does after? What he does after that, it says in Hebrews, he is now interceding for us. He is now going, hey, whatever you have, these distance, this distance you have between God, I am praying so that you would come closer to him. The door is wide open for you to find a faithful and peaceful and purposeful relationship with God. God wants that. See, I grew up in a, in, in a really broken home. And uh, I don't know about divorce in, in Australia, um, but in, in Hong Kong, in China, back in the 90s especially, divorce was a shameful thing for a woman. Our family did not care about us afterwards. So I grew up, it was just my mom, my brother, and myself. And I was angry. I was so, so angry at the world. And, and the question was, why am I even meant to be here? Why, why am I even here? And then one time, someone told my mom, hey, if you take your kid to church, he turns out to be a good kid, so you should, should do that. And they have tutoring services at church, so take him there. And like, mom's like, free tutoring? Yeah, sure, get him in. And, and so I went to church, and then somehow someone invited me to a youth camp. And then I, I always thought, you know, like, because here's what I was taught, like, no offense, right? Um, but I, my mom always told me Christianity is the white guy religion. Don't join that. It's not who you are. But I went to this youth group and I saw how God connected people who had no reason to be connected. I came in, I was this angry young man. And they didn't judge me for it like my own family did. They listened to my story and they said, I will not only will we just tell you to feel better, we will cry with you. We will laugh with you. And I felt this connection to the love of God for the first time. And I came out of that camp. I, I, I wanted to be baptized. I wanted to know God. I went, God, if you're real, then show me. And I took this sense of, okay, God, I'm meant to love people. I'm meant to, I want to take this love. And I took it to high school. And I saw God's love not only... Uh, changed my life, but I saw him change my school. We had a Christian group. We were seven people at first. And all we tried to do, our only mission, because what do we know about ministry in, as teenagers, right? Our only mission was to go, how do we bring God in the school? 
the group went from seven to 15. We did it, we decided to pray for these guys. So we decided to have more and more people start to come in. We, when they would come in, they're Christian or not Christian, we'd pray for them. We'd just say, hey, you know, God loves you. We'd share the gospel with them. It went from 15 to 60. 60 to a 70, 70 to a 100. The welfare, so student welfare started to send kids down who really needed counseling to this Christian group. And I'm going, all right, whatever. I thought that we're, tr- we're not trained counselors, but hey, get them in, get them in. And at the end, we, there's this place, so I went to the school called Melbourne High School. And uh, there's this place called Memorial Hall where nobody is allowed to really use, right? They let us hold a gospel session there. And I came out of the going, wow, the love of God is something else. And I received my calling to be a, a preacher around that time. And so uh, I, went, I went back home from school one day, and then I went straight to my mom. My mom wasn't a Christian at that point. And I went, Mom, after high school, I'm going to Bible college. <laughs> and my mom's like, I still remember her face. Over my dead body, you're going to Bible <laughs> college. No way. You get out of here right now. And I had, a, I had a choice to make. Mom was serious I wasn't going to Bible college. But I knew I had a call to do that. And, and so I turned to God. I opened up the scriptures for some reason. And I went, God, what do I do? Do I just sneak off to Bible college and become one of those like martyrs for Christ? Oh, I've read about them. <laughs> And the first verse I flipped to, I mean, it's one of the only times that Bible flipping techniques work for me. <laughs> and it said, honor your mother and father. And, and I heard God sink that into my heart. And I went, okay, God, if you say so, I will obey you. And so I went to, I w- I went to study journalism instead, three years. And my, my third year, my mom met another guy. And, and this guy was awful, abusive. And he broke up with her. And she fell into this deep, deep depression. And it was so bad that my brother and I would take turns, like staying up late at night just to make sure nothing would go wrong. We were scared. We were so scared because she would just, she had just lost her will to live. These, this, these relationships have just broken her to pieces. And so what would we do? What do you talk to someone who's like severely depressed? There's this place in Doncaster called Happy Diners. No jokes. And so every morning, I would drive mom down to happy diners. And we would talk like this. So what do you talk to someone who's like suicidal, right? Here was our conversation. Mom, she wouldn't be saying very much. Mom, remember that time we were in a car crash and God saved us and we didn't die? Praise the Lord. Mom, remember that time we didn't have enough to, to pay the bills and then someone from church just prayed and gave us the right amount? Praise the Lord. Mom, remember a time where we were just arguing and, and the family had no peace, but then we prayed together and then we found the solution as a family. Praise the Lord. Remember when God, whenever God is in the picture, something good happened. Praise the Lord. And this went on for eight months. Every morning we'd go to Happy Diners. It's a terrible restaurant, but it has such a special place in my heart. Because at the end of the eight months, I was driving her home from one of these Stephen one-way conversations with his mom. And I was just driving her home in, in a little Yaris. And, uh, and, and she turned to me and she just goes, Son, I think, I think I'm better. I think I'm better and I want to follow Jesus. And I'm like, I'm just playing it cool. 
because, you know, I'm driving. Oh, cool, Mom. That's really cool. Let's talk about it when we get home. And we got home, and, and we sat down, and, Mom, what happened? Was it a vision? Was it like a miracle? Did you see Jesus? And what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you're healed and you want to follow God? And then Mom said something to me that is going to stick with me forever. And this is kind of why, like, this relationship love thing is so important to me. She said, I saw how much my son loved me. This is why I believe in your God. Do you guys see it? God created us so that we would carry his image into the world so that people would see him when we live purposefully. So if we have a relationship with God and we submit to God and we live for God, then God's purpose flows out of your life. My mom knows Christ because of honor your mother and father. And then she goes, go to Bible college. That's why I studied so hard. Because it was a blessing. And I saw God turn dysfunction, a dysfunctional moment, a sinful moment filled with hurt and pain. And now our family is filled with purpose and joy. I haven't seen my mom cry in years. I don't know if that's a thing for you guys, but to me, that blows my mind. I have not seen her lose her temper in years. You know what she does now? She invites single mothers from like uh, church or like badminton group or tutoring group, whatever it is, yum cha group. And she gets these single moms into our house and then she shares the gospel with them and supports them. She found her purpose in her pain. But that can only happen if you fix the relationship you have with God. This is the opportunity Jesus gives us. Whatever pain and past and history you have, there is an invitation that Christ allows us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach him with confidence tonight. Now I've spoken a lot. And the heart of it is, where is your, how are your relationships going? Are you carrying dysfunction in your heart, this numbness, this dryness, this pain. It's not right. It's dysfunctional. Sorry, brothers and sisters. I've got to call it out. It's not right. There is more for you in Christ. If you would just follow God and allow God to be God in your life again. So if you bow your heads, I want to pray for some people. Uh, Christ allows us an opportunity and invites us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, if that's you, I'd like to pray for you tonight. Every head bow, eye closed. This is how we do things in our church. I don't know if that's a thing for you guys. And the reason why we do this is so that you can reflect on where you are. Now, I want to pray for some of you guys. So if you 
have these dysfunctional, sinful relationships in your life. And you want prayer tonight so that Christ can come in and fix your dysfunction. If that's you, just put your hand up. Let us pray for you. Yeah, I see. Is anyone? Yeah, if that's you, put your hand up. Put your hand, let, us, let us pray for you. Can I just? Awesome. Anybody else? Just hand up and down. Yep. Anybody else? If there's dysfunction that you need Christ for, yeah. That's a good amount of you guys. All right, hands up. Here's what we're going to do, guys. How are we going for time, Joel? Can I just, can we just get you guys, for those of you who put your hand up, and for the leaders, can you come up at the same time? So the leaders, can you come up? Uh, I, I don't know uh, how many of you are. And if you've put your hand up, and I don't know if the keys can come up and play some padding, make it all spiritual and stuff. Uh, it, it, if you've put your hand up, I, I want to pray first, but after I pray, I would like you guys to come up to the front. There's no shame. Shame is not the language of God. That's not what God wants you to feel. God wants you to be freed from your dysfunction. So after I pray, I want to invite you guys and the ones who put your hand up to come up to the front and let, let us pray for you. Let us bring you to God again, okay? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace. We thank you that you're a God that sees us in our dysfunction and you don't push us away. We're the ones who push you away, but you draw us close. So Lord, we know in your scripture you say, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Give us strength, God, to approach you tonight. Give us strength, God, to come to you tonight and to repent of our dysfunctions. We need you, God. And we know if we submit to you, your goodness will be with us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've put your hand up, why don't you come up? Why don't you come to a leader? Come up. There's no shame. Come up. I mean, what's the... What's the big deal? Come up and, 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 and be prayed for by God. Come up, yep. Go to Joel over there. Anybody else, come up. Hey, pray for each other. It's not just the leaders who can pray. Hey, pray for each other as well. Come on up.